And I mean, this guy is the connector in Durham. I love it, man. You don't know how happy that makes my heart. That's why I'm on the planet. Yeah. I love seeing that. And, and the, because you are, are from Canada. Yeah, Canadian which, by birth, American by choice. There we go. Um, and we're going to talk some more about that. But this is Rare Perfection. Um, it's a 14-year-old Canadian whiskey. Mm. Yeah, Durham is the first city that I felt like I could put roots in. Yeah. You know, first city that I said, okay, what, what does it look like? Because I had been essentially a, a gypsy mm-hmm. soul for a long time, traveling all over the world. But I was starting to crave depth, not width mm. in my life. Um, and you talked about, you know, impact-based business. Mm-hmm. Talk about that some more. Like- to me, when I talk about an impact-centered mm-hmm. business, it's where impact is not peripheral to the work. It's not a nice side bonus to the work that, okay, you're doing these things and you happen to make a difference. It's where the business exists to make a massive positive impact in the world. And you are building everything on that foundation. So for an example, and, and let me talk like really practical business sense on this too, because a lot of times people think that you can't have a profitable business as an impact-centered business. No, you need to have a profitable business as an impact-centered business in order to scale the impact, in order to sustain the work. And so it has to make practical business sense, but the way you get there is very different. So for example, when I was... on folks this is daryl your host of the narratives over wine and whiskey podcast where we discuss topics that impact black and millennial communities while having a good drink i got my boy justin on here with me today uh, we ended up meeting during the pandemic probably about a year and a half ago i was at one of the uh, provident after hours yep, that's events. right um so provident 1898 is a co-working space that is black led black centric uh, downtown Durham in an amazing, amazing space where I am fortunate enough to work out of now. But I just happened to be there because I saw, you know, a good opportunity to network, um, community of people who were like-minded. And he was running the show and I said, yeah, I need to find a way to tap in here. And I had heard of him before, right? Because I was uh, oh yeah, I was consulting oh, at yeah. the city. Yeah. And so they, uh, y- your name came up a couple times. I was like, yeah, they're doing some cool stuff over at Provident. Um, and, and then it just so happens that the way I got my current job is because my boss saw me comment on something you put on LinkedIn. Love she looked it. at my profile. And I mean, this guy is the connector in Durham. I love it, man. You don't know how happy that makes my heart. That's why I'm on the planet. Yeah. I love seeing that. And, and the crazy thing is, right, I, I didn't even know him that well. And since then, we've been able to, to develop a relationship. But um, he's doing some amazing things. And he's, yeah, that's the crazy thing. He's not even from Durham, right? But he is like one of Durham's main connectors. Thanks, um, man. I love it. So I, lo- I love having people like that in my hometown. But uh, the way we always kick it off, we kick it off with the drink of the uh, of the day first. And okay. so this is because you are, are from Canada. Yeah, Canadian which, by birth, American by choice. There we go. Um, 
and we're going to talk some more about that but this is rare perfection um it's a 14 year old canadian whiskey mm. that i'm i'm generally not a fan of like crown royal that's what i got introduced to when i when i you know started leaning into canadian whiskey and mm-hmm. the thing is, I probably drank too much of it in college. Right. And so, Crown and ginger. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, now I, I kind of strayed away from the Canadian whiskeys. But this is by far one of my favorite whiskeys that I own. Um, and it just so happens to be from Canada. So I love it, man. Well, I, thanks I for sharing it with me. Yeah, man. Um, so I will let you have the first pour as the guest. Okay. Um, now, the, do you have any pour instructions, anything like this? Because you are the professional here. So this is what I will say. These glasses uh, were sent to me, and I featured them a couple times. They have the perfect pour, um, <laughs> where that one I think you have man cave and man down. Yep. And yep. So if you go too high, you're gonna have a rough <laughs> man night. Man down. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, mine says uh, bottom says boys night. Bottom uh, top says bar fight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going for the man cave level. There we go. Yeah. Real real clever way to, to I love portion that. control. Believe in drinking responsibly. Of course. Yeah, man. There you are. But yeah, we, we're doing this one neat just because it, it has an amazing, amazing flavor uh, palette. And so, cheers. All right. To life. Yes, always. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. I found it by chance. Good okay. amount of smokiness right. to it. Not too much. Not too much of a burn, but great right. flavor. Yeah. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. I found it down in, um, I was in Charleston. Almost gives me like honey in the middle. Yep. A little bit of, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. If I find another bottle, I'll bring it back This is. You. This is the stuff, man. Man. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a good drink. We're going to talk. But tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you said Canadian by birth, American by choice. Talk mm-hmm. to me. Man, my journey has been a wild one. How far do you want me to go back? Man, start as far back as you're comfortable and we'll, we'll move from there. Okay. Well, so here's, I do think this, this context matters a bit because it always frames a little bit of the story. I think people, they say that people see the glory, but they don't know the story, right? So people see the work I'm doing now. They see who I am, where I am, all these things, but they don't realize you know, some of the things that people go through in order to get to where they are. So my background from Canada, Edmonton area originally, my parents who had me, my biological parents were 14 years old when they had me. A lot of people don't know that. And long story there, ended up getting adopted and grew up my um, adopted dad in that family ended up taking his life. Uh, I was about 10 years old and had some really tough teenage years where on the surface things looked like they were going okay Um, but internally I was just so mad at life for the cards I had been dealt and um, really really having a hard time navigating that ended up finding a great mentor or I should say a great mentor found me at about 17 years old somewhere around there and from there life really started turning around um, started using my gifts and my fearlessness to actually do bigger projects around the world and transforming a lot of the energy around my life and my past and you know I think when when people see me doing the things especially I live with a fearlessness and that wasn't by accident my fearlessness for me has been a really reframed version of my narrative and my story because I went from you know feeling like I wasn't wanted or feeling like life would you know dealt me all these all these cards to saying wait a minute 
you know, because at the time, anyway, the story, there was a point in my story where I was almost aborted in that in that story. So when I look back now, it's like, well, y'all couldn't even kill me when I was a baby, you know, so I'm invincible now. So I've, I've taken a lot of these narratives and reframed them to be the thing that actually fuel me and move me forward and make me feel fearless and invincible rather than things that used to really hold me back. And so I talk a lot about this where I say, you know, it's like it's like a brick. Your story is like a brick. You could either use it to smash a window or build a house like the, the it's kind of neutral. But you now have the choice of what you're going to do with it. Like, is it going to be a stumbling block or a stepping stone? It's the same damn rock, you know, but is it going to be a stumbling block or a stepping stone? So for me, it's like, how do I take all of the things that were stumbling blocks for me and build an incredible life out of them? Not in spite of the things, but actually build an incredible life out of some of the really hard shit. Yeah. And um, so anyway, so that was the, the start of my journey. Ended up in the U.S. I don't know how many years ago. Went to Baylor University for a year. That was fun. I was playing football and trying to figure out how to walk on and all these things. And it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Ended up back in Canada. Finished out my football at uh, York University. What position? And defensive back. Defensive back. So, cornerback. Yeah, yeah. Corner. See, yeah, see, I knew. Man, what, I knew. I'm, I'm learning just in this conversation how much we have in common. But keep going, man. Bailey went back up to Canada. Yeah, went back up to Canada. Finished out over there. And all the while, I had started this nonprofit where I was taking people overseas to do different service projects that were more immersive. And we would partner with people on the ground, do some really cool work. And I loved it. And the way I created that organization was literally, okay, I want to see the world and I want to make an impact. As an entrepreneur, how can I put that together in a way where I'm able to see the world and have an impact? So I structured the organization in a way where people would essentially pay for my trip mm -hmm. by organizing this thing, put it together, these volunteerism type of opportunities. And I would get to go and see all these beautiful places around the world and do some really cool things, make a really big difference um, in a lot of people's lives. And it was a beautiful journey. The part though, where I ended up feeling like I kept hitting a ceiling in the charitable world, especially international development type of world, it feels like a bird with only one wing, meaning you just can't quite get there in the charity world. You're always going after donations. You're always doing these things. So I, I really started coming back to my entrepreneurial roots and saying, okay, what can I do that's more sustainable? What can I do that's scalable? What can I do that is adding value in the market in a real, in a real way? and ended up crazy connections uh, made met you know met this guy in burundi africa we were doing these um house building projects water projects i met this guy who was a world-renowned coffee hunter he called himself um, ben carlson out at um, what is now long miles coffee and he was like look you want to make a difference here in burundi i you know because i had fallen in love with the country over a, a few years um, it's coffee. You know, 90% of the GDP was coffee and tea. Farmers were being exploited and, you know, all kind of things. And, you know, my name is Justin. My, no my mom named me properly because the, the root is justice. You know, when things, especially um, injustice or inequity, stirs me to the point that I get mad, like I got to do yeah. something yeah. about it. And, you know, my answer was, okay, let's see if we can import coffee. Let's see if we can do it equitably. Let's see if we can use a percentage of the profits to go back and still do some of the projects we were wanting to do, but now sustainably. You know, what does that look like? Um, and so at that time, a company called Good Coffee was born, started importing. So I tell people, you know, because a lot of times people know me as a coffee guy, ran a mm -hmm. coffee shop, all mm -hmm. this type of stuff will come out in the, in the story. But um, I didn't start as a coffee guy. I started as an impact guy. 
and coffee became the vehicle, right? And I said, okay, how do I, you know, this is now the vehicle. It's something that connects people. It's something that, you know, when done right, can actually really provide for farmers and families and communities. And um, so I was an impact guy that fell into coffee, not a coffee guy that said, okay, how do I, you know, make a difference this way? So um, yeah, ended up doing that. That was a beautiful journey, about seven years, took me around the world. Coffee only grows in beautiful places. And I was getting to drink it with the farmers who grew the coffee. Like it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And then that love for coffee started translating into now the coffee shop experience. And what does it look like to use coffee in a way that really connects communities locally? And uh, so eventually ended up in Durham. That was a whole long story how I ended up here. I've been here about four years now and I just, you know, I'm absolutely in love with this place. Yeah, Durham is the first city that I felt like I could put roots in. You know, first city that I said, okay, what, what does it look like? Because I had been essentially a, a gypsy mm -hmm. soul for a long time, traveling all over the world, but I was starting to crave depth, not width mm -hmm. in my life. And that was a big transition for me is what does it look like to actually be a neighbor? actually be in community to the point where if you need a real cup of sugar you can get a real cup of sugar you know and so I started thinking about home base and you know because I never really thought in terms of home home for me is a feeling not a place it's the people it's the connections but I started thinking in terms of home base like where could I set up my launching point and still do the things around the world but where would I come back to and so I decided, okay, it's going to be Durham. I'm going to invest deeply in the city, which why, you know, which is why, as you said, you know, in four years, it feels like I'm a lot more a part of this city than most people might feel in in four years. But it was it was a very intentional choice to go deep in this city, connect with as many people as I could, meaningfully, really try to contribute value. And Durham's the type of place where if you love it, it loves you back. It's an incredible, incredible city. So as I was here, um, ended up having the opportunity to start Nolia Coffee, which was this kid-centric, family-centric coffee shop in East Durham. Incredible, incredible time. Um, and that, again, was driven by community. How do we bring people together? What does it look like to like really, really connect through coffee and for a demographic like parents who didn't have opportunities to go out and get a good cup of coffee and connect and, and all that type of stuff. So incredible journey, which ended up leading me to Provident 1898 because of the pandemic yeah. specifically where I had this little coffee shop and, you know, we didn't get into Nolia Coffee to be a coffee shop. Right. We got into it to be a community shop that served coffee. And so when the pandemic hit, you know, we didn't really want to do curbside coffee and all that type of stuff. You know, that that for us wasn't really the point. We were running events out of there and kids story times and, you know, all these things that are very driven by being together physically. And so I ended up shutting that down, had this space and practically as an entrepreneur, OK, I got a lease yeah. that I'm responsible for. I'm not trying to just, you know, hop out of the lease. And so what does it look like to use this space and create value? What could I do with 1500 square foot space? So I started looking at co-working yeah. and I was like, okay, maybe I could run this really black co-working space, like black exclusive is the way I was thinking about it. Like almost Wakanda co-working, yeah. like really, really far on that side of the spectrum. But as you do 
in Durham, and I mean, as I think you should do other places, you go and sit down with the people who are already doing the work, right? So you make sure you're not duplicating, you look for partnership opportunities, you look for ways to synergize. So I sat down with Peter and Carl, um, the owners of Provident, two of the owners of Provident, and I said, look, here's what I'm thinking of doing. What could it look like to partner and, you know, create these entrepreneur hubs? And, you know, Provident could kind of be a little bit more center on the spectrum where they were, you know, black forward is how I understood them at the time, but but not necessarily black exclusive or anything like that. And maybe we could partner. And very quickly it was, we need to do something together. Like this is bigger. Um, Peter and Carl were talking about, you know, we've wanted to be more black centric, not just black forward. We wa we've actually wanted to lean more that side of the spectrum and haven't understood how to do that in a way that's not exclusive. Yeah and still inclusive and still, you know, promotes allyship and all these different types of things. And so I said, all right, you know, let's do it. And I've been there since, uh, I think November, pandemic November, whatever year that was, <laughs> right? What is time right now? <laughs> right? And since then it's been crazy, man. Like we sold out in a pandemic yeah. by leaning into this identity as a black centric co-working community. And, you know, from there, a lot, lot more beautiful things going on in terms of now looking at more direct entrepreneur support. And that's really most of, most of the journey from, from here until then and, and running my business coaching practice in the meantime because I love impact. So Man, that's the story. Um, talking about coffee. So have you ever had, and I'm going to probably butcher the name, but I've had it. Um, uh, coffee, Kopi Luwak. <laughs> Kopi Luwak, Thank yeah. You. The meerkat poop coffee? Yes, yes. Yes. I, yeah, I did too. And it's, I mean, it's good. Yeah, but it's, it's not as thousand pound, you oh know, dollars a pound gosh. good, right? <laughs> right, like when you hear about what they charge for it and like in other countries. No, it's crazy. So we were in Bali uh -huh. in what, 2018. Yeah. And went to where it's made and had it. I mean, it, like, like you said, it was it was good coffee. Sure. But damn, they charge for it. Oh, it's well, and it's because of how intensive the process yeah, is. So, it's like you're having meerkats digest the green beans yep, yep. or eat well the fruit, and then you're chasing down the coffee in their shit yep, yep, <laughs> and trying yep. to and trying and then cleaning it off and getting it, and it ferments it in their body. That's yeah, why you know it yeah. does something special to it to is, the bean. But it is. yeah, it's it wild. I had, I was there. I had to do it. We visited a. Um, one of the places where they make it, and we're like, you know what? I'm here. I'm a coffee drinker. Desiree's yeah. a tea drinker. So yeah. She had the tea, but I, I had some. I brought a little bit back. <laughs> it was a, um, it was an experience. Yeah, it's an experience, man. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's actually, I take that back. I did not meet you for the first time at um, Provident. I met you because I knew about the coffee. And mm -hmm. I was like, black on coffee spot. Dude. Right. Right. And I came by the spot. That was in the pandemic, yes, I remember. Was, yep, that was that was the first time. Yeah. So yeah. And that's actually around the corner from my great aunt's house. So like my family's East Angier. Yeah. Like uh, th this is this is home. And so my great aunt has a home uh right there on Franklin. Mm -hmm. And so right around the corner I was like, oh, okay, right behind right by Aunt May's house. I love cool, that. Cool. Well yeah, man. Um well, glad to have you here. Loving the work that you're doing in the city. Thanks, man. Um and you talked about, you know, impact-based business. Mm -hmm. Talk about that some more, like, mm. because I don't think everybody knows. Like, everybody knows what profit-driven business is. Sure. Everybody knows what a service-driven business is. But what what is impact? Mm. Talk something about that. To me, when I talk about an impact-centered business, it's where impact is not peripheral to the work. It's not a nice side bonus to the work that, okay, you're doing these things and you happen to make a difference. It's where the business exists 
to make a massive positive impact in the world. And you are building everything on that foundation. So for an example, and, and let me talk like really practical business sense on this too, because a lot of times people think that you can't have a profitable business as an impact centered business. No, you need to have a profitable business as an impact centered business in order to scale the impact, in order to sustain the work. And so it has to make practical business sense, but the way you get there is very different. So for example, when I was running um, Good Coffee up in Canada, the coffee importing company we were distributing up there, when we would go with our team and we would set goals for what we wanted the company to look like, and, you know, quarterly goals, all these different types of things, most companies start with their revenue target, right? And they say, okay, this is where we want our revenue to be and dot, 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 dot. Um, what does that look like? We started with our impact target, meaning how much money do we want to reinvest in the communities that we work in? in the life of this business. So if we say, okay, great, we want to this year reinvest $50,000 in the communities we work in. And we're saying that $50,000 in our business model represented 25% of our profits. Okay, so how many profits do we need to have? All right, we need to have $200,000 in profit to do that, right? So now we're reverse engineering the business model from the impact. Not the other way around. Like, okay, what's left at the end? No, no, no. We're creating those goals and reverse engineering the rest of the business. All right, how much profit do we have to have? What are our margins? So I'm talking like real business stuff, foundational business stuff, but from a different vantage point, flipped on its head. That to me is what it means to run an impact-centered business, where again, it's not peripheral. It is central. It is the focal point, and you build everything around the impact, not the other way around. That, that's transformative in and of itself because I think that so often we think of philanthropy we think of even even you know within the the church setting you know, this is the mm -hmm. south the bible belt you know we think of how you know let, let's give this 10 percent not sure. I want 10 percent to be this you know, even I remember when um, Desiree and I when we got married that's a great point we were, we were going through counseling with our uh, our pastor who also has a family and marital family marital masters mm -hmm. and so we were talking about it from you know a religious standpoint and a, a logical perspective mm -hmm. and i said you know if we're following jesus christ jesus would not have given 100 percent or 10 percent to the church mm -hmm. we said yeah okay here goes some for the church <laughs> but here goes some for the people <laughs> right and so right. we made that decision and we said you know what i want five percent of what we give mm -hmm. to go to the community right the church doesn't need the entire 10 percent <laughs> right um not the church that we were at the time and i mean i think that that's to have that impact goal, but mm -hmm. it's even more when you put not percentage, but a concrete number down. And right. Say, no, this is what we're going to give. How do we get there? How do we scale our business in right. this way? Right. And even in a percentage way, you know, again, I think when it comes to faith communities and things like that, a lot of times it's still the leftovers. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, okay, how, how little, and this literally is the mindset and people, you know, a lot of people won't admit it. How little can I give God to keep them happy? <laughs> right? It's kind of, if you really break down the way people approach giving yeah. and generosity, it's okay, how little can I give God to like keep them at bay? <laughs> you know, as if, you know, it's some sort of wrathful situation or like you're, you owe him money. No, it's not like that. For me, it's out of the abundance of what I've been giving. Like a tree that bears fruit, right? That has fruit on it. Yep. It is life giving for the tree to give. If the tree did not give that fruit, the tree would die. Yeah. Right? Like giving when you're living from a place of abundance, when you're tapped into the source, when you got your feet in the soil and you have the nutrients, giving is actually a way to generate more life for you too. 
It's not just something that you do to feel good or something that you do on the side. You know, so for me, it's like, okay, how little can I live on? Let's flip it on its head. How little can I live on? You know, and how can I invest the rest and give in a way? And even the way I give is different because I try to give in ways that are regenerative, Mm -hmm. meaning if I'm giving, I actually still want that to come back as an investment for me, right? So the the goals that I have is like, okay, how do I build, you know, community housing? How do I build um, youth centers? How do I build these types of things? Well, guess what? If you do that right, again, centering the impact, but if you do that right from a business perspective, that should actually generate me more money to do good. And so now I have more to do and more to give and all these things. So it's like, it's it's seed plant it's growth you know it's generative regenerative if you give in the right way um not just something you do on the side i was talking to somebody recently and i told them i mentor kids and i've mentored kids for quite some time but now me mentoring kids means that my son might have another five role models Mm -hmm. like now it's okay this this is regenerative and and that is love that at, at first you know i never actually uh I was never set on having biological children because mm-hmm. I saw the need for adoption mm-hmm. across the country. And um, you know, Desiree was like, look, I want I really want to have the traditional experience. And I said, okay, we'll adopt one. We will have one of our own, mm. or no, excuse me, we will uh, birth one. Yeah. And, um, and now I'm like, okay, I can see that all of this that I've been pouring into kids, eventually one of these kids is going to hopefully reach back and say, hey, you're Mr. Daniel's son. You're Mr. Daryl's son. Right. Come on. Let, right. Let, let's do this. Or hey, here's your first internship. Mm-hmm. Or if it's not for my son, it's for one of his friends, or it's for one of one of one of you know the people that he might know or look up to. So, right. It is. Uh, it is so important to plant, without the expectation of yeah, I might not get this back, but when it does come back, it comes back powerfully. But this is where I would even take that to another level, bro. Like, I fully have the expectation that it's going to come back. Yeah. I don't do it because or to get, but I'm saying when you understand the laws of like growth, the laws of life that you cannot outgive life, try it. You can't do it. You cannot do it. So I fully expect things to come back. I don't give to get. You know, it's not going to come back every time, but when it does, it's coming back. Right. Right. But it might not come back. This is, I think, the difference is I think we place a ton of expectation on the recipient of the gift or whatever that is as if they're supposed to be the source of where you're getting it back from. So that's what I'm saying. I fully expect to get it multiplied, but I don't need it to come from the person that I give it to. And, And when you let go of that expectation that I'm giving to give, I'm not giving to get fully knowing that I will get, it always happens, always happens for me multiplied. I cannot outgive life, but the difference is and where we get let down a lot of times is you do something nice with a secret, you know, kind of resentful expectation that that person is now supposed to do something for me. It's like, nah, you know, I, 90% of the time it doesn't come from that person or that situation or that thing for me. Life takes care of me I, and it, it frees up your heart to give abundantly, you know, give without those extra expectations attached because that's not actually giving. That's actually like covert manipulation when you give with that mindset, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, man, that's a that's a beautiful explanation. So we talked about impact-driven businesses. 
I'm going to talk about, you, you know, your, your background. What do you see as the shortcomings of most entrepreneurs mm. that you mm. work with or that you just see? Yeah, you know, like observe? the most common mistakes I yeah. see. Um, a, f- a few. One is just a lack, a real lack of practicality at how long the journey actually takes. Man, you're speaking to me right now. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead, <laughs> and, and what it actually takes to build a meaningful business. Okay, so one of the, one of the best stories, most motivating stories I've heard, Les Brown shares this story about um, a certain kind of Chinese bamboo. And he says that, you know, there's a certain kind of bamboo where you plant it and for the first four years of its life, you see nothing. It stays completely beneath the ground. You see nothing. But the joke is you have to water it every single day. So for four years, it looks like you're watering dirt for four years straight. And what the bamboo is doing is building this network underground. It's connecting to all the other pieces, you know, building its nutrient source, all these different types of things. That's what the bamboo is doing for four years, bro. You're watering dirt is what it looks like to most people and what it looks like to you. Year five, the bamboo shoots up 100 feet. In one year, shoots up 100 feet. So the question is, did it shoot up 100 feet in a year or 100 feet in five? It's 100 feet in five, but you didn't get to see shit for four years. That to me is business, entrepreneurship. And I mean business that lasts. Like you can get these short-term wins, you can get whatever, whatever. But when you're really building something, it might look like you're watering dirt. You know, the expectation should be, I'm showing up because I'm passionate about this. I'm gonna find a way no matter what because it's what I'm on the planet to do. And I don't really care what anybody else says. I don't really care what it looks like to me or to anybody else, but everybody wants these quick results in entrepreneurship. Like, well, I started a business. Why is nobody nobody here? No, you should be doing something that you're so passionate about it that like, even if you had zero dollars coming back your way for the first three years, you would still do it, you know? And when I mean a lack of practicality, it's like, okay, keep your bills low, yeah. right? Keep your overhead of your life low. So when I, you know, when I do my business coaching, people always get rocked because it's way more immersive and way more holistic than, than anybody thinks. Cause I'm talking like, okay, what's your mortgage yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or what's your rent? You know, what are you spending on groceries right now? What's that looking like? Like, let's figure out you're like, okay, cool. Now here's your business. Now, how does that, da, 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 what, what pieces can we move? Can we downside some of your expenses? Ah, not really. Okay, cool. All right. Here's what we're gonna do. We're building a plan that's immersive. Some of the plans are like, bro, you need to drive Uber. Yeah. Right now, and here's where you have 12 hours a week to build your business. You're gonna drive Uber over here, and you're gonna meet some great people. I want you to have a business card every time you get in that car, right? Like, we're talking, I'm talking practical, right? Like, move back in with your parents. I literally had um, somebody I was talking to, like, they just moved back in with their brother to, like, grow their business. That's the real real entrepreneurship journey not the glamorous one not the instagram one not the you know oh you know you're making it look good and so a lot of what i see in business owners and entrepreneurs is like do you want to be successful or do you want to look successful do you want to be happy or do you want to look happy because they're not the same thing looking successful and being successful are very different choices that you make right and so for me i would rather be successful i don't really care like what car I drive and what it looks like and blah, 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 blah. Because at the end of the day, I'm building something like I got it. And I don't care if I don't look like I got it. Yeah. I would actually rather the other, the other way. You know, you look at the images of 
Jay-Z net worth $100,000 and he's got these gold chains on and a Jay-Z net worth, he's at a billy now, right? right? He's in right? a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. He's in a t-shirt. And so I, I take note of that. And that to me is just a lack of patience, a lack of practicality on the journey. So that's the big, big number one um, that I see there. Number two, I would say, again, it's, it's a practical piece, but a failure to niche. Meaning when people start out in business, a lot of times you want to be everything to everybody and you never really develop what is my it thing? Like what is my core product and what are the processes around that product? Like you never really perfect anything. You never really become a master of any piece of your craft um, because the idea is I want to be big. And the irony is, is you get big by starting small. If you try to start big, you get small. It's the opposite, right? You try to start being everything to everybody, you end up being nothing to nobody. You start really honing what piece of your craft you want to hone and like 90% of your time is spent on just perfecting this thing until you get that one thing right, nail it, and then you start stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking. So the way to impact, you know, one of my mentors would talk about the reverse funnel. People think, okay, I want this big funnel and then I want to at the end, it's like, well, that's where I find my impact. That's where I find my purpose. No, flip the funnel on its head. Go the, go the small way. Yeah. All right. So it's like, all right, what am I going to nail? Like, what am I going to own this space, this industry, this whatever, this like niche, whatever it is. Then on the bottom, it opens up like the rest of the world becomes available to you when you hone your gifts. When you sharpen that talent, whatever, the rest of the world opens up to you. All the stuff that you thought you wanted to do, you started out trying to do everything. You get to do it all when you hone your one talent and just really, really, really own that. And again, not it doesn't have to be exclusive, but like a large percentage of your time should be focused on a very small you know, piece. And I think about, it's like the magnifying glass effect, right? Like the sun is out here. Um, it's not lighting anything on fire right now. You take a magnifying glass and you put it down and it concentrates the heat in an area where now it's lighting that spot on fire. Well, the the difference was focus. What a magnifying glass does is focus. It focuses the energy of the sun in that one spot. And so those are really the two big pieces that I see commonly is lack of focus and lack of practicality around what it really takes to build a business and the humility along with the practicality and patience, the humility to not have to have it look a certain way or you know you know if it if i have to drive uber it means i'm not doing it or whatever nah no it doesn't matter what it looks like build you know so i'd say those are the two big ones man i think that you you've given myself of course as always you know we have conversations and you open my eyes up a ton but but a lot of my listeners a lot to, to think about because a lot of us are, are entrepreneurial and I think that's that's natural like mm-hmm. that is I think no matter what there's an entrepreneurial piece in everyone because capitalism is only so old right mm-hmm. um, but for the longest time people have had to till their own soil people have had to create their own art they've had to sing their own music they've had to find ways to express themselves mm-hmm. in whatever ways whatever gifts they've been given um, and I think that everyone can lean into either an entrepreneurial or an entrepreneurial mindset. Right. Um, well, let's make it really practical, bro. Yeah. Entrepreneurship to me is find a need, fill a need. Yeah. Yeah. If you do that anywhere in your life, 
you're an entrepreneur, you have a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. Now, the extent to which you want to build a life out of that, solving problems for a living, that's what entrepreneurs do, and the larger problems you solve, the more you get compensated for them, right, in terms of the complexity of the problems that you solve. But all you're doing is solving problems. Yeah. So an entrepreneur is someone who sees a problem and says, hey, we can do that better, or more cost-effective, or something, or like a gap in the industry, like nobody's, nobody's doing anything about that. Why won't somebody do something about that? Okay, well then go do it. Yeah. You know, that's all it is. Find a need, fill a need. You're an entrepreneur, period. You're an entrepreneur in your own house. If you're like, ah, you know, this layout isn't conducive to social gatherings in my living room and you go and solve it. Well, that's entrepreneurial. Y'all hear that? That means you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what's up. Practical, man. practical. Yeah, like, real. let's take all this like fluff out of it. And you know, people think, man, when I go give talks, and I'm like, okay, raise your hand in the room if you're a, if you're an entrepreneur. Raise your hand. Ah, eh, maybe 10, 20 percent of the room. Okay, raise your hand if you have a side hustle. <laughs> 80 percent yeah, of the room, exactly. right? People especially in the black community i'm finding a large dissociation when it comes to the word entrepreneur yeah. they have a certain image of what it's supposed to look like either a tech bro or you know jay-z or whatever as the images of what an entrepreneur is it's like no if you are doing something that solves a problem that generates income or could generate income you're an entrepreneur and i, th I think you know what we, that's what we got to say um, you know, a lot of the times are you an entrepreneur they might 25 percent are you a hustler? You got that 80% right there. Right. I'm going to hustle up this money. I'm going to find a way to make this happen. I'm right. going to, yeah. So, I, yeah, it, it's it's that code switch. It's that language barrier sometimes. Right. Or, or cultural barrier. But it, entrepreneurship is in so many of us who are, are solving problems. Yes. Yeah. That's what it problems. is. Anyone who's solving problems, yeah. Yeah. you have that spirit, yeah. which is most humans. <laughs> right? Bro, I appreciate the time today. Now, Next time I have you over, we're gonna put the mics away. I'm gonna fire up the smoker. The yeah, grill. yeah. We're gonna you you gonna you gonna Uber here. You gonna call one of the people that you told the to Uber. <laughs> there we're, we go. We're gonna tap some of this whiskey for real and have, have some fun. The weather's getting nicer. You know, it's North Carolina, so it's already 68 degrees. Yeah. This week, so yeah, I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks or for actually, having me. Well, actually, shoot, we ain't gotta wait for it to get warm. We'll, we'll set up the fire pit. I'm down. And I, I will. I'll, I'll just put a, a beanie on my bald head because that's the part that gets cold. There we go, bro. <laughs> Appreciate you, fam. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. The Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast is a subsidiary of Daniel's Development and Branding, LLC here for all of your fundraising strategy and creative storytelling needs. Connect with us online at dollarsandstories.com.